Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn to your bi- in your Bible with me to uh, two passages. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then hold your place there, and we'll come to that in a moment. Hold your place and then go to Romans, the first chapter, Romans chapter 1, and we'll read from Romans 1 first. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the reading of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the entrance of your word in our heart brings light and understanding, hallelujah, and edification, amen. Romans 1 verse 4 says concerning God's son, Jesus Christ, verse 4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It was the resurrection from the dead that that declared and said it once and for all as indisputable that he is the son of the living God with power because he was raised from the dead. Amen. And then turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and let's look at, right now we're just going to look at verse 3 and 4. Paul was preaching here and he said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You cannot put too big or too great an importance upon the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two primary truths in the New Testament. There's, of course, a lot of truth in the New Testament. But there are two primary uh, bedrock truths. They're inescapable. And that is, number one, that Christ died for our sins. And number two, that he was raised from the dead. These are the two most important truths and themes of the New Testament. In fact, we don't have time today because of, because of uh, restraints on our time. We don't have time today, but we could. We could go, if you, and I encourage you to do this, go through the book of Acts for yourself today. Find time just to, just to scan through and look at all of the places where sermons are recorded in the book of Acts. You can scarcely find any preaching that did not, not just include, but center and focus on the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. Paul said, God has made this person, this Christ, this man whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, because he raised him from the dead. Like I said, it is the prominent theme and all of the preaching in the New Testament uh, deals with it. In chapter 4, verse 33, this is Acts, Acts 4, 33, it says, And with great power 
the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. In fact, if you go and study the New Testament, you will see that the city of Jerusalem was shaken to its core when Jesus was raised from the dead. Everybody saw that he was crucified. And when God raised him from the dead, it absolutely turned Jerusalem upside down. Amen. Now I'll get to a little more about that in a moment. But let me say this, that there are five potent negatives, which if they were true, they're not, but if they were, would rob the gospel of all its power and blessing. In the 15th chapter here of, of 1 Corinthians, in let's start in verse 13, he gives us these five negatives that if they were true, would absolutely destroy the whole message of Christianity. In verse number 12, it says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So here are two things right here. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, the preaching of the gospel is an empty message. And our faith is in vain. In uh, verse number... Let's go down to verse, the, the next verse, verse 15. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because, if, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So the apostles were false witnesses if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. They were either liars or they were seriously deluded. Just completely delusional. And, and if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we're still in our sins. And if that is true, verse 18 and 19 says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. In other words, people who have died, our loved ones, mine and yours, who died trusting in Christ, if Jesus was, did not arise, if he did not arise from the dead, then their faith is vain and they're still dead in their sins and they've perished. And there is no life. And there is no hope for tomorrow. And all is, is, is lost. But thank God. <laughs> verse, verse 20 says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first roots of those who have fallen asleep. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God all of these things have come to pass. And, and we, uh, we'd have basis for our faith. And our hope is secure because Christ was raised from the dead. But I want you to, I just kind of giving some preliminary comments this morning. But here's where I want to focus on. Think of the idea for a moment. Just ponder the idea of a dead man raising himself from the dead. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. 
And it says that he was talking about his body. A dead man announcing the greatest feat of all time. (laughs) Come one, come all and see this marvelous thing. He said, you're going to kill this body, but in three days, I'm going to raise it up. That's a, that's a pretty uh, incredible specter. Now, in the Old Testament, three people were raised from the dead. The pro- several of the prophets in the Old Testament had tremendous power, and they raised people from the dead. Like I said, three people were raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Jesus raised three people from the dead himself in his earthly ministry. And then in the book of Acts, we have the, the, the account of two people being raised from the dead by uh, Peter and Paul. But you see, these, all these people who were raised from the dead, they were raised by a prophet or an apostle who was alive at the time. It's a big difference. I'm not minimizing the, 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 uh, the wonder of Jesus raising somebody from dead. That's a big miracle. But if you're dead, how are you going to raise yourself from the dead? Well, glory to God. That's what Jesus actually did. Now, Jesus, there, there is in the world among uh, scoffers, down through the centuries, there, first of all, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has never seriously been challenged. Not seriously. Because there's too much evidence to support it. Too many people saw him after he was, after he was raised from the dead. There have been scoffers down through the ages, but their ridicule and their criticism has never really taken hold in, in an academic sense. There's never been a strong academic uh, uh, convincing argument that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Now, one of the arguments, one of the, well, of the ones that have been put forth is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory uh, uh, purports that Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. His disciples thought he was dead. Everybody thought he was dead, but he didn't really die. He was just, he was just in such bad shape. He was just, he was so close to death that they couldn't detect uh, a spark of life. And so they put him in the tomb and with the spices and the aroma of the bed, you know, uh, things that, you know, the, the, the bed, the, the grave clothes and so forth and the cool air of the tomb that after a while, Jesus sort of resuscitated and got his strength back and, uh, and got out. Well, besides the, the, the other things we're going to look at, let's just say Jesus was that low physically and he hadn't completely died. And in that dark tomb, he resuscitated. First of all, he managed to get out of those clothes that he was wrapped in. Now, there is evidence that Jesus was in such bad shape when they took him uh, from Jerusalem just as a result of his scourge, scourging. 
that he was in such bad shape physically that he was almost dead then. Because the scourging that, that he experienced was beyond anything that, that the Romans had ever inflicted on anybody before. In fact, there were people assigned to the task of, of scourging of individuals. Those people didn't get the assignment for Jesus. Instead, the soldiers were, were uh, uh, conscripted and they were given the task the, the people who normally did scourging, they had a semblance, at least one degree, some degree of mercy. And they wouldn't take a person all the way to the point of death. But these soldiers were brutal. And they scourged him and beat him in such a way, the Bible says, that he didn't even look like a man anymore. So there is evidence that he, on, on the journey to the cross, that they actually had to, he started the journey, but then they had to pick him up and carry him the rest of the way to Golgotha. Golgotha. So the idea that, uh, that Jesus could resuscitate to the degree that he could get himself out from the grave clothes that he was wound in and then move the stone. Remember the women who came to the tomb on Easter morning? They said, who's going to roll away the stone so that we can go in and, and anoint the body? So it was a large stone. So the idea that Jesus somehow uh, revived to the degree that he could, that he could escape the tomb is, is ridiculous. Let me, uh, let me give you some evidence that Jesus actually died. And I have scripture references, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over some of it. The soldiers who were at the cross went to investigate the body and they found him dead on the cross. Now, these were not accountants. These weren't electrical engineers. These were soldiers who were entrusted with the crucifixion on a regular basis. Crucifixion was not uncommon at this time. So these were soldiers who had attended to a lot of crucifixions. They were accustomed to, to determining when a person was dead. They saw that Jesus was dead and they reported to, to, to Pilate that he was dead. Uh, the centurion attested to his death. Go with me. We will read this one. Go to Matthew 15. Excuse me, Mark 15. Mark 15. So not only all of the soldiers, but their leader, the leader of the guard. Mark 15, verse 44. Says, Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoned the centurion and asked if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. You remember that in, in verse 43, Joseph of, of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, uh, came and took courage and went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So the soldiers knew he was dead. The leader of the guard, the captain of the soldiers, the centurion, he attested that Jesus was dead. The women who stood by the cross 
believed he was dead because they went to the tomb on, on Easter morning to anoint his dead body. So, so the women who saw him crucified saw that he was dead. Not only that, the guards who were placed at the tomb, they were the ones who were responsible for putting the stone on the door. They saw that Jesus was dead. There, there's no way they would have sealed up somebody in, the, in that tomb without checking to see if he was dead. And again, these were people who were accustomed to verifying uh, someone's death. We've already pointed out that Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea saw that he was dead. Nicodemus, turn to chapter nine, uh, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 38 says, after this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. So Joseph, uh, uh, who was a, a secret believer, he saw that he was dead. And it says in verse 39 that Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus? Nicodemus, who at first came to, to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they, that is Joseph and Nicodemus, took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to, bar, is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because the Jew, of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was empty. So Nick, uh, Joseph and Nicodemus were both secret believers and they didn't want Jesus to be dead. Michelle and I were talking about this this morning. They, they did not want Jesus to be dead. They were sorry at what had happened. You know, in a situation like that, that they would be looking for any sign of life. They wanted him to be alive. They needed him to be alive in their own, for their own emotional well-being. They, 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 would, they wrapped his body and applied these, these spices, all the while sorrowing that he, in fact, was dead. They saw that he was dead. Couldn't have been mistaken. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to the tomb. They saw that he was dead. The guards at his tomb, the guards who were placed there after the soldiers put the, uh, brought the body and, and, and Joseph and, and uh, Nicodemus prepared it, the guards were placed at the tomb. They knew he was dead. Not only that, Steve read this morning, Jesus has already announced that he was dead. He said, he appeared to John. He said, I am he who was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Glory to God. So there's ample evidence that he was dead. The idea that Jesus wasn't dead is, is so foolish that, that it's not seriously taken. Now his resurrection, there's, a, there's another idea that Jesus' resurrection was not an actual resurrection that it was only spiritual, that he was raised up, but he was raised up in spirit. Uh, 
It is absolutely essential for the New Testament that Jesus was raised physically from the dead. We have the account of Luke 24, his resurrected body was composed of flesh and bones. Also in in that chapter, as well as Matthew and in John, his body could be felt and touched. Remember that he appeared to his disciples. He said, touch me and see I'm alive. He ate fish and honey before them. Not only that, when he appeared to Thomas, he said, give me your finger and put it into the print of the nails in my hands and put your hand into my side. Jesus' re- Jesus's resurrected body had the imprints of the crucifixion. And in the Old Testament in Zechariah 12, it says that when he comes again, the world will give testimony and he will show them the wounds with which he was wounded, it says, in the house of his friends. So Jesus' body was, a, was, was resurrected physically from the dead. And he actually, even today, at the right hand of the Father, that resurrected body still has the imprint of the crucifixion. Glory to God. Now, this resurrection was unique. Like I said, eight other people in the Bible were raised from the dead, but they all died again. They didn't become immortal. They were just as, I mean, it's a great miracle, not as if they were just raised from the dead. That's a pretty big thing. But, but they were raised up and they died again. Jesus, the Bible says, was raised up immortal. Glory to God. Like I said, he said, I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Glory to God. Now, people have put forth a lot of ideas that, well, yes, Jesus did die. He was crucified, but he really wasn't raised from the dead. He he really wasn't. Well, we have several things that we can point to. Number one, we have an empty tomb. (laughs) Uh, The women who came to the tomb found it empty. The two angels that appeared said, he's not here. Mary Magdalene went and told his disciples that the tomb was empty. Now, the Jews, this is is pretty... uh, Far-fetched, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 15. The Jews of, of that day. Matthew chapter, excuse me, 28. Matthew 28, verse 15, uh, 11, starting verse 11. Matthew 28. Now, in verse 11, it says, while, some, while they were going, people were leaving the tomb, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Now, what they were referring to is 
The soldiers were under the threat of death. Because the soldiers had been given the charge to seal the tomb, to set a watch on it. And if they failed to do, this is common knowledge. You do any research on, on, on the Roman practices, the soldiers would have certainly, without question, there's absolutely been executed if they had failed to, to do what they were instructed to do. So the idea that the guards fell asleep is, is, a, is a ridiculous argument. They would not have fallen asleep. Okay, maybe one of them would have fallen asleep. But all of them fallen asleep? It's completely impossible. You say, well, it could have happened. No, it couldn't. Not when you're under the threat of death. If you fall asleep, I'm telling you, it could not have happened. There's no way. So the soldiers uh, would have never fallen asleep. Then they say his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Well, the disciples, you remember, when Jesus was taken into custody, the disciples all left. They all fled. They ran away. And one lone, courageous one, Peter, ventured to go up to, you know, to kind of observe what was going on. And when a little old girl identified him as knowing Jesus, he started cussing and said, I don't even know the man. And they were in hiding. So we would suppose that these frightened, trembling disciples were bold enough, if they could have pulled it off, to remove the stone, go into the tomb... Now, now notice this, take Jesus out of his clothes. Take him naked out of the tomb. That's absurd. And do this all while the, without waking up the guards. Who would have killed them if they'd awakened. It's, it's, it's a preposterous idea. You can see they were grasping at, at straws here. Now... Number two, another, or number whatever, another consideration is, is that the Jews, I mean, the, the, the disciples, not only could they not have uh, mustered the courage or the, had the ability to try to steal Jesus' body from the tomb, the book, I think it's the book of John, one of the gospels, I think it's John, tells us that when Peter and John went there, they were amazed at what they saw. And it says, for as yet, they did not know that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. Now, Jesus had told them, granted, we all know that, but we're looking at it from our perspective. Jesus had told them over and over and over he was going to come back. But it had not registered on them and they were not expecting it. Then why would they try to steal his body and to prove that he had been raised from the dead? They weren't even expecting him to be raised from the dead. Now, the grave clothes we saw were wrapped together and uh, in such a way that it would have been impossible to get Jesus out of those clothes without completely uh, destroying the, the, the grave clothes, Unwound, unwinding them because he was wound up with them. Remember the story of, of the man that, that uh, Jesus called out of the tomb? You know, was it Lazarus? You know, called him forth. And it says he came forth bound in grave clothes, he was bound with them. 
and had a, a napkin over his face. Remember that? Well, that's, that's how Jesus's body was prepared. And so, uh, it would have been impossible to get his body out and leave his clothes. But no one ever, no one ever claimed that, that the tomb wasn't found the way it was found. Now, uh, we know that he was raised from the dead because Thomas had already said, even after hearing that Jesus had been raised from the dead, he had, Jesus had been raised, he had appeared to the other disciples. Thomas said, I don't care what you guys say, I will not believe it. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold, arrogant statement of unbelief. I will not believe it unless I put my finger into his hands and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Thomas, when he saw him, said, my Lord and my God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Not only that, Jesus had a half brother named James. And during Jesus's life and ministry, before the crucifixion, James was not a believer. He was one of Mary's other sons. He did not believe on Jesus. He opposed the ministry of Jesus. He considered Jesus an embarrassment to the family and was afraid of the, of the opposition that the rest of the family would, would uh, face because of Jesus's ministry. James was not a believer But the Bible says that something happened that made James a believer. I wonder what it could have been. There's no other explanation but that he, the Bible says Jesus appeared to him and and James became a a leader in the early church. The epistle of James was written by him. So here's someone, two people, Thomas and James, that could not have possibly been converted to Christianity if they had not seen Jesus raised from the dead. All 12 apostles, except for John, suffered a martyr's death for their testimony that Jesus had been raised from the dead. You look it up, and we'll have time to go into it, but if you look it up and go through all of the, of the apostles, every one of them faced a, a martyr uh, end. They were all crucified, uh, uh, stoned, killed. Uh, they suffered terrible deaths. The only one was, that didn't was John, and he was boiled alive in oil, but it didn't kill him. After he got out, after he survived the oil bath, he was banished to the island of Patmos for the rest of his life. He didn't stay there the rest of his life, but, but he stayed there a while, a number of years. The island of, the island of Patmos, if you go and look at it, is little more than a rock. It has virtually no trees, very, very little cover. Mostly it's scrub brush and just barren rock and grass. There's no place for shelter on that island. There's no place. People who, who were banished there had to find holes in the ground. They, they weren't given anything to, to live by. They weren't given any tools. They, they, they just had to make it on their own. So they had to find holes in the ground to find shelter in that were also accompanied by snakes and, and, and rodents. They're all looking for cover. So what I'm saying is the 12 apostles suffered so much. I'm talking about Matthias. We know Judas, you know, 
uh, wasn't one of them anymore, but Matthias took his place. All of the apostles suffered this horrible end to their life, were persecuted beyond measure for something that they knew wasn't true. That's unthinkable. No one would have done that. Well, amen. Like I said, the fact of Jesus' resurrection was not seriously challenged in the first century at all. In fact, the disciples, the, the apostles started preaching that Christ was raised from the dead in Jerusalem, in the very town where Jesus was crucified, where everybody saw that he was crucified, and within walking distance of the tomb where Jesus was buried. That's, that's pretty audacious. <laughs> The Jews tried to concoct a story, but on the day of Pentecost, when, G- when Peter stood up and preached, how many, how many people? 3,000 or 2,000? What was it? 3,000 people came to Christ among the Jews who saw Jesus crucified. There, this was, church, this was a compelling story. This was, this was obviously something that happened. People in, G- in, in Jerusalem wouldn't have fallen for something that was outrageous and something unthinkable. They, something had happened. Jesus was alive. And they preached. And when they preached, people came to Christ, 2,000, 5,000, then multitudes. All in the community where Jesus had been crucified. Well, praise the Lord. Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of that, death has been conquered. Death has been conquered. Now, spiritual death first has been conquered. The Bible says that, that in, in, in Adam, all die spiritually. Now, a lot of people don't understand spiritual death. They don't understand that, that spiritual death is not the same thing as physical death. You know, if you step on a bug and squash it, it's dead. If you come back an hour later, it hasn't moved. It's still dead. Come back the next day, it's still dead. There is no more function of life. No more process of life. Nothing going on on a, a, uh, you know, a, a, a metabolic level, anything. It's dead. Spiritual death is not that way because spirit, we are on the inside. We are spirit creatures. We are alive. We are eternal. Unsaved people are considered spiritually dead, but that doesn't mean that their spirit isn't functioning. It just means that it's separated from God. Jesus conquered spiritual death on the cross. When he was raised from the dead, death, spiritual death was absolutely defeated. Glory to God. And you and I have passed from death unto life. Now, physical death is yet to bow its knee, but it will. Because there's coming a day, and I don't believe it's going to be very long from now, when Jesus returns and the Bible says that this mortal will put on immortality, glory. Why? Because Jesus was raised up immortal. There's coming a change to our physical bodies. Glory to God. But right now, we're alive. We were dead in our sins. Dead in trespasses and sins, says in Ephesians. But we were made alive together with him. Glory to God. Eternal life has been achieved. Man has been seeking uh, eternal life since forever. 
And eternal life has been granted. It's something that we have now. It's not something we're going to have in the future or just in the future. Bible, the Bible says now we have passed from death unto life. Oh, glory to God. God's life and his nature has been imparted to our spirits and we have it. Sin, thank God, has been dealt with. The Bible says that Jesus appeared once and for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Did you know your sin problem has been dealt with? I'm talking about sin in your life. Sin in your life has been conquered. Now I know that there there are people sitting here today who still struggle with sin. But you need to go back and read the sixth chapter of Romans. It says repeatedly that we've been set free from sin. Eighth chapter of Romans says the same thing. Sin has been done away with by God and we are free from it. Now Paul went on to say, if we've been, if we've been uh, set free from sin, how do we live any longer in it? Oh my God, he said, God forbid. For a Christian to perpetually live in sin, just to fellowship with sin, just to live in sin, just it, it's actually uh, an actual Christian cannot do that. Cannot. I don't want to be too gross, but for a Christian to, to live in constant fellowship with sin is like you having uh, physical relations with a dead body. It's unthinkable. Sin has been done away with. Glory to God. You are and I am free. Praise the Lord. Not only that, the curse has been broken because of Jesus' resurrection. The curse of the law. Now, the law is not itself a curse. Paul said the law is holy and just and good. Isn't that right? I think that was the seventh chapter of Romans. The law is just and holy and good. But the curse of the law refers to the punishment associated with breaking the law in the Old Testament. The law has to do with the Old Testament. The law was just and good and holy and all of that. But if you broke the law, whoo boy, all manner of evil would come upon you. I mean, you read the, the, the accounts in Deuteronomy, like the 28th chapter, all of these curses will come upon you if you do not keep the law. And it just, it just identifies all of these horrible things in life, sickness, uh, uh, poverty, uh, family life loss, anything you can think about was under the curse. And the Bible says Christ has purchased our freedom from the curse of the law. That's what we have in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have freedom from the curse. Glory to God. And Satan has been defeated. Satan has absolutely been defeated through the resurrection. It was the crushing blow that Jesus inflicted on Satan when he was raised from the dead. The Bible says that he rose, uh, uh, arose from the dead and that he took captivity captive. But it also says that he rose up and conquered principalities, powers. In other words, all of the realm of darkness. Jesus conquered them. 
led them in open shame, open defeat, made a show of them publicly. Glory to God. And I love uh, Ephesians. I think it's Ephesians chapter, no, it's Colossians chapter one, verse 12. We give thanks to the father. Glory to God who has made us able to partake of the inheritance of the saints and the light because he has delivered us from the authority of God. We've been delivered from the devil's dominion in, in every shape and, and, and facet of it. We've been delivered, glory to God. Ooh, hallelujah. We have authority to reign in life as a king through Jesus Christ. We're not under the devil's thumb. We're not under the law. We're not under condemnation. We're not under sin. We're not under the the, uh, defeat of this life, the negative things of this life. We are above it all because we've been raised up. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me? Praise God. Thank God. Jesus' resurrection is more than just a historical event. It is an actual historical event. There's no question about that. But it's so much more than that. It is the testimony of life in Christ that's been given to us. Oh, glory to God. We've been made alive with his life. The very life that that came into Jesus... And raised him from the dead. That even quickened his spirit man. And then quickened his body. That same life. Is in us. We, we, we're not ordinary people. Church. I know it's easy to go through life. Go through your work week. You're, you know, we live in a natural world. We, we deal with natural things. There are natural realities all around us. We, we're, we're, uh, uh, we mingle with people who aren't saved. We just deal with, with things in life. I know how easy it is to sort of, to sort of lose focus on the absolute freedom that we have in Christ. But we are free. We're free from, from anything. Anything the enemy would try to do in your life, anything the devil would try, the world would try, anything that, that of sin would try to, 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 to do in your life to kind of raise up and bring you into bondage, any of that, you can stand up and say, I am redeemed through the blood of Jesus. I've been raised up to new life and I am a victor over every challenge, over everything the enemy would try to do. It doesn't, it might be in your family. It might be on the job. It might be in your body. It might be in, in some other arena. Every place the, the, the things of this life try to, 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 to usurp and take a place of superiority in our life, we can stand our ground and say, no, I've been raised from the dead. I'm alive in Christ. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. We sang that song this morning, or, or, or Michelle did. Wonderful song. Jesus came into our life. I can't remember all the words of it, but he changed my life. Changed your life. Brought us out of darkness into his marvelous life. It's, that's not a dream, folks. It's not a creed. It's an absolute living reality that you have the very eternal life of God on the inside of you. Oh, glory to God. It makes all the difference. 
Makes all the difference that we remind ourselves every day of what belongs to us. Remind ourselves of what's happened to us. Remind ourselves of eternal reality. Truth. Jesus said you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Glory to God. How many free people do we have today? Do you believe it? Glory to God. Well, if you're free, then you're not discouraged. Listen, I, I, I experience life just like you do. Discouragement can come to me. This situation, that situation. No one's exempt from, the, from being approached by discouragement. But when I, when I stop and think about who I am, who I really am, what really has happened in my life, oh, glory to God, there's nothing big enough. There's nothing powerful enough. There's nothing in this life convincing enough when, when we know who we are, when we stay focused on what's happened to us. We're above discouragement. We're above defeat. What kind of witness do we have in the world? Do we go about on, on the job? Do we go around with a long face? Complaining? Down all the time? Commiserating with people who aren't saved? Or with other Christians? <laughs> what is our testimony? Our, we, ought, we ought to be a beam of light. We ought to be like a, like, like, like a neon light in the darkness. We, because spiritually we have that light. Say, so, yeah, but I don't feel it. That's, that's when you need to focus on it the most. When you don't feel it. That's when you get, you get into the Bible and you say, but these things are true. This belongs to me. This is what's happened to me. I've been born again. I've received the life of Christ. I've been raised up together with him. I've been seated together with him in heavenly places. Far above. That's why we sing the devil's under our feet. All these things are under our feet because we've been seated together with him in heavenly places. Glory to God. Ooh, Hallelujah. If you'll feed on it and speak it over your life. Remember the rhema word. Speak that rhema word. I talked about that last week. week. If you'll speak that word over your life, it'll, it'll get down on the inside of you. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. And when you ought to be crying, you'll be laughing. When you ought to be wringing your hands, you'll be waving your hands, you know, in praise and worship. When you should have a sad face, you'll have a bright face. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The world needs the testimony of victorious Christians. The world needs uh, the world needs you to overcome. The world needs me and you to overcome. Amen. This gospel will will never be convincing to people who can't understand it unless they can come into contact with somebody who has something they don't have. How many of you? have had people say, I don't know what it is about you, but I, and I don't understand it, but you have something I don't have. I want that. They can't explain it. They're not supposed to be able to, to explain it. But when we live the Christ life, it is magnetic. 
It draws people beyond even even uh, when they can't understand it and they might be pushing and fighting against it. They can see something in our life. Glory to God. It's that life. It's that resurrection life. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that it is a historical fact. It is a real fact. But more than that, Father, it's a fact that we've experienced. It's something that we know that we've tasted of. We've tasted of the resurrection life. Thank you, Father, for imparting that resurrection life, eternal life into our spirits. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I I, I don't know about you, but I love songs like the two specials this morning. The first one and you know that opened the service and then and then the other one. I love songs that that remind us of where we've come from. Because we all have a story. Some, some people's stories are a little more colorful than others, but we all have a story. And the, and the story is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. I know where I was headed. I know the bondage I was in. And when, and when Christ came into my life, oh, what liberty, what liberty. You know, I've never looked back. And I know you haven't either. I've never looked back. Never looked back. When I, when I came out of that darkness... I've never looked back. That doesn't mean I haven't struggled and haven't stumbled, but I've never looked back. I've never said, well, you know, maybe this isn't for me. No, no. Oh, glory to God. Live your life this week, this month. Live your light. Let your light shine. Glory to God. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.